There was, a, there was a little girl, and she wanted to be on a swim team. So her parents said, okay, we'll, we'll put you on this competitive swim team. And she loved going to practice. She loved the new friends that she met. And, uh, and so then she, her parents said, we're going we're gonna to go to some swim meets now. And you'll be swimming against um, other swimmers. And she was very excited about that. One problem is she always came in last. I mean, dead last, swim meet after swim meet after swim meet. And the parents were like, you know, what's wrong with our daughter? Because we're looking at her practice and she's doing well and she's, she's beating the other swimmers and she's just having a good time. And, you know, we notice when she goes to the swim meet before event, she's introducing herself to all the other swimmers before she goes up to the block and she's just having a good time. And she goes, she doesn't seem to be upset about it at all she's so finally the parents go up to the little girl and they're like hey um we want you to win like where to swim me this is competitive we we want you to win you swim your hardest and, and that's what the swim meets are for and she goes oh really that's what it's for she goes i thought it was a swim meet where you just met people that's what <laughs> have you ever wondered what the purpose of something was like you're doing something like what is the meaning of this why are we doing this and 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 are we missing it i I think about that sometimes when i jog and it's 25 degrees out. i'm like why am i doing this i'm like the reason why i jog is so i can eat pizza and wings that's my purpose that's the only reason i run and sometimes we wonder why am i doing this what is the purpose of this and what we're doing over this series is we're looking at why we do what we do And I think one of the most important things we do at Living Word as a church as a whole is take communion together. This is something that Jesus issued to his disciples during this last supper meal before he would go to the cross, before he would rise from the grave. He took communion. He he had this last supper and he, he, he took the bread and he took the cup and he showed the symbolism of those two things. And he says, whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me. It was something that he issued to them saying, when I leave, this is something I want you to do so that you remember what I'm about to do for you. And I think sometimes we kind of miss our way. And I think it can be confusing in the practice of communion in the church. If we're not careful, we can miss its meaning. It's something that we can religiously do here at our church once a month, sometimes more. Maybe you're brought up in a tradition where you took it every week. It's really not the amount of times that you take it. It's when you do take it, are we doing it correctly? And I think sometimes communion can lose its meaning. And and I think for many of us, we have different ways and different church traditions. But there are two things that we see from scripture that we are instructed to do two sacraments that we are instructed to do as the church. And those are baptism and to celebrate communion. And so what I want to do today is I want to go into depth on what the significance of communion is all about. And depending on your church background, uh, there can be different ways that communion is done. But today I want to try to be as biblical as possible and bring a better understanding to communion for each and every one of us. And so what the Apostle Paul does, the Apostle Paul gives instructions to the church in Corinth. And I think these are some of the best instructions on the correct way that we should take communion. Because the church in Corinth, they were doing this. They were taking communion together as the body of Christ, but it lost its significance. They were doing it. But they were doing it in a manner that was very unbecoming of Christ and what he died for. 
And so what Paul does is he writes to the Corinthian church and he brings some correction. And we can uh, see this in Corinthians chapter 11. And, and I want us to, to, to look at this and understand the correct way of taking communion. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to dig into this. And what we're going to do is we're just going to go through these verses and understand as a church on, on the correct way to take communion. First Corinthians chapter 11. And I'm going to kind of go through the latter part of this chapter and Paul's instruction about the Lord's Supper. And I want, to, I want to jump into verse 23 and 25 first, and then we'll be going through the end of that chapter to see Paul's instructions to the church in Corinth. And so what he says to them in verse 23, he says, For I receive from the Lord, but I also pass on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he, he took the bread. He took the bread and, and he, he passed it. He, he, he took the bread and, and, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. He broke the bread and he said, he said something very important that we need to understand. Here. He said, this actually is my body, which is, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then in the same way, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. These two elements, the bread and the cup, are so significant for us to understand today. Because everything that we see within these two emblems of the bread and the cup symbolize what Christ actually did for us and the church as a whole. And what I want us to understand here for the church is I think sometimes we take communion and we, we, we individualize it, which is fine. We need to understand what Jesus did for us. But I want you to see there's a bigger thing going on here. That Jesus actually says, when you do this together as the body of Christ, we are uniting ourselves as the body of Christ under the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the thing that unites us as the body of Christ. And what was happening in the church in Corinth is they were taking this in an unworthy manner. They were doing it, but they weren't remembering those that were around them that they were taking it together. And so he specifically tells them, don't take this in an unworthy manner. Remember that you're remembering what Jesus did for you. And I think what happens in our day and age, can I just be honest with you here this morning? We are very individualized people. We are. And, and, and it's instilled to us um, in our culture that everything's done my way. Right? Have it your way. Everything's about me. Do you remember the day and age where you used to sit on your front porch and wave at the neighbors? Hey, neighbor, how you doing? Hey, how you doing? I got a Coogan in the house for you. Want to stop by and have a Coogan and coffee? Right? Remember the, anybody remember those days? What do we do now? We build everything on the back of our houses. We have garages that we bring our cars into, shut the garage, go into our house, tuck away, all by ourselves, Right? And I think, listen, nothing wrong with putting your car in the garage. Nothing wrong with having a patio in the back of your house. Nothing wrong with those things, having a deck in the back of your house. But I think what we're missing in American culture today is understanding what it means to minister to each other. Understanding what it means to have a relationship with each other. I want you to understand this morning that the cup and the bread has everything to do with us as a community at Living Word and how we relate together as the church. So when we take communion, there's something very special 
that should happen within the hearts of us as a church and a community. And that's what I want to build on today. I want to build on this idea of community and how we are to relate to one another. So churches use different words for communion. We, we may use the word the Lord's Supper, or maybe you heard the word Eucharist, which is basically just a Greek word that means to give thanks. But what I, what's the first thing I want you to see in this passage? Let's break this passage down today. Jesus said, whenever you do this, you do this in remembrance of me. Communion allows us to remember. Here's the important thing about communion. It allows us to remember what Jesus did for us. So Jesus is issuing something here very important because he says, listen, I want you to do this. I don't want this to lose its significance, but I never want you to forget what I've done for you. And so what we're actually doing is when we take communion, we're looking back. One point of communion is we're actually looking back. We're remembering what Jesus did for us, his sacrifice, his blood that was shed for us, his death. But something else is going on here. Something that happened in 1400 BC. Jesus' last supper with his disciple is the very fulfillment of this event. What Jesus was doing is when he issued the Lord's Supper at this time, he's actually having a Passover meal with his disciples. It's the Passover time. And the Passover was basically the 10th plague in Egypt. And what God told them, he says, I'm going to deliver you out of the hands of the Egyptian, 400 years enslaved to to Egypt, because I'm going to deliver you. And this 10th plague was the Passover. And basically what they were told to do is to sacrifice a perfect lamb and to place the blood on the door frames of their home. And God said, my judgment is going to sweep over Egypt. Death to the firstborn. And what I'm going to do is, when I see the blood, I'm actually going to pass over those houses and my judgment will not come upon anyone that's under the blood of the lamb. So it, his judgment would pass over the homes. And if they had the blood over the door frames of their homes, death would not come to that home. And what Passover does and what Jesus was doing in the middle of this Passover, Passover celebrates God's deliverance of, of Israel from Egyptian slavery. And so Jesus is eating this last meal with them, and he declares this very statement to his disciples as he's eating this very meal. And so what Jesus emphasized in this meal are two very important things. He emphasizes the bread, and he emphasizes the cup within the, within the middle of this, of this meal that he's having with his disciples. The bread symbolizes his body, which would be given for us. Jesus' body will become a once and for all fulfillment of all the ceremonies that was part of the Passover lamb and all of Old Testament sacrifices. Jesus is declaring that he now becomes the Passover lamb. He is our savior By his blood, we are now forgiven and we are actually literally protected from God's judgment. So if you ever hear the word, we have a lot of Christian lingo. One of the Christian lingos is, are you saved? Many people say, what does that mean? What What are you saved? What it literally means to be saved is that when we come to faith in Christ Jesus and we're saved by his grace and we put our faith in him, What we are literally saved from is God's judgment. We now, there's a transference of relationship from becoming enemies of God to actually becoming friends of God 
because Jesus bridges that gap for us through his very life. So when Jesus says, listen, this bread symbolizes my body, this cup symbolizes my blood, I am the Passover lamb now. Through me, God's judgment will no longer be held over your head. Somebody say amen. Through me, you are now protected. You are now under my blood. God's judgment because of our sin is no longer held against us. There's no more condemnation. There's no more guilt associated with sin. Jesus paid that price for us just like that lamb through its blood and giving his, its life paid the price for those that were under the blood in under the doorframe in those houses that, that God passed over those homes and judgment did not come. Jesus now becomes our Passover lamb. So the cup symbolizes his blood that would be poured out for us. And so what saved Israel from God's judgment? It was the blood of the lamb over the doorpost, over the lentil. The blood was a sign that the sacrifice had been made. The sacrifice appeased God's judgment against sin for that time. But Jesus was a perfect sacrifice for this reason. Jesus is perfect in every way because he is God. And Jesus appeased God's righteous demand forever, meaning no more sacrifices needed to be made. And so when we look back, when we take communion, that's what we're to remember. We are never to forget the great sacrifice that Jesus paid for you and I through his death. Listen, we need to consistently preach the gospel to ourselves. We can get so wayward and so off topic in our lives, and we can chase so many things that don't do anything for us spiritually. And this is the one thing that Jesus, when you do this, I never want you to forget. It, it, communion recalibrates us, doesn't it? It shows us what's really important in our lives. It shows us what Jesus did. It humble, humbles us to realize that we are sinners saved by God's grace. That we are no longer under God's judgment. That should bring thankful and, and, and grateful hearts to us that God is so good and providing something that we could not provide for ourselves. So Jesus was this perfect sacrifice. And so this is the great news. This is the good news that our past, present and future sins have been covered. Death does not have its final say. It has no more power over us. And that's why our faith in Christ is so imperative It's only by grace through faith that we are saved from God's judgment. So what it does is this communion causes us to look back and be thankful for for what Christ did for us. So Jesus says something else here. He says, not only do I want you to look back and realize what I've done for you and the fulfillment of the Passover lamb, and Jesus becomes that sacrificial lamb for us through his perfect blood, through his perfect life, but not only, not only are we to look back, but Jesus says, I, I, I want you to remember something that we are to also look forward. Communion allows us to also to look forward. Yes, we look back, but also we, we look forward. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, it says, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until what? 
until he comes. So what are we anticipating here? When we look back, we're saying Jesus did all this for us. But we remember that, that Jesus went to the Father and he says, I'm going to come back to get you. Jesus will return again. But this time, not as a baby, as we're going to celebrate Christmas and the, and the birth of Christ in another month. But Jesus is going to come back as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And we're going to see our Savior return in all his glory. And he will rule and reign. And so what we're doing is communion actually is a celebration of knowing that Christ is going to come back. So every time we take communion, we look back, but we anticipate also his return. This is what gives us hope. The glorious return of Jesus Christ should get every single one of us hope that everything just didn't end at the cross, but Jesus, I'm going to come back to get you to take you to where I'm going. Somebody say amen. That should give us hope. So when we're, listen, Yes, we look back and we remember what Jesus did for us and his sacrifice, but also the celebration comes when we look forward to knowing that Christ will return for his church. We need to be reminded of that, that Jesus is coming back. That through our trials and our difficulties in our life and the struggles that we go through in our life and all of us go through those struggles, we have this hope. That Jesus, you're going to come back and you're going to restore all things. God is going to make all things new. And, and we, we get a little glimpse of that in our born again experience with Christ. That he makes all things new. That is what I love about the body of Christ. That what he does is in our sinful state, when we come to Christ, Paul tells us that he makes all things new, that we are now new creations in Christ Jesus, that the Holy Spirit is now the deposit within our heart, causing us to look forward to that full day of redemption when we will be with Jesus and we will be like him, that there's going to be no more death and dying and disease and taxes and taxes and taxes, right? Wars, rumors of war, all those things are gone. So that's our hope. And my hope for you is that when you take communion, that it would remind us that Jesus is coming back and he's going to make all things new. And this is what I love about the body of Christ because God takes us together, all of us from different backgrounds, different situations, ethnic backgrounds, all these different things. And he restores us and he makes us new. That's the hope that we have, that he makes all things new. And that we will be with him one day. The book of Revelation gives us a glimpse into this future and tells us there's going to be this giant feast. This marriage supper of the lamb. Where there's going to be every tongue, every nation is going to be gathered together to celebrate Jesus and what he's done for, for us. I can't wait for that day. When we see every nation, every tongue. Those that have been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ coming together and sitting at the table together. Isn't there something? Is, see, we miss, we miss the significance of coming together and eating together and supping together. We miss that meaning today. When I was a kid, that was a core value in our house that we ate together as a family. There's something about getting around the table and saying this is important to us.
that we have a meal and we sit around the table and we eat and we share our lives and what went on. It's a no phone zone at our table. Nobody looking at their phones. Everything's put away. And if we just stare at each other for 15 minutes, we'll just stare at each other, right? (laughs) We're going to torture you for 20, 25 minutes. But I love our conversations around our table because those are some of the best conversations. See, there was something about eating with some, someone in the first century in Jesus. That's why Jesus, when he went to Zacchaeus' house, the tax collector, people are like, oh, he's going to the house of a who? Well, who was Zacchaeus? He was a sinner. It was an intimate thing. It meant you were friends with him. Jesus invites us to the table. Every tribe, every tongue is going to come and sit around the table. I can't wait for that day. See, every time we take communion We look back, but we anticipate his return. See, at the very heart of communion is the message of the gospel. At the very heart of communion is the very heart of the gospel message. In fact, the word gospel means good news, glad tidings. Communion shows us that Jesus has done everything for us, that it's through him we might find forgiveness and life. And so communion is so much more than just bread and a a cup that we might take uh, once a month. It's so much more than that. These elements, I want you to understand what Jesus is saying to them. These elements, what we see in this are life and forgiveness and healing and hope for us. Jesus saying, this is what I've done for you. This should bring life and forgiveness and healing and hope to you. Realize what you are doing. See, communion, what it does is it allows us to look back. It allows us to look forward. But also, there's something very unique here. It also allows us to look inward. Now, this is where it gets a little dicey for Paul. Because this is where Paul, he establishes what communion it should be like and how we should be taken. And for the Corinthians, they needed to be corrected in the way they were doing it. And so Paul takes it a step further. And he says this in verse 27 and 28. He says, so then... Whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup, listen to Paul here. Whoever whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. And so he brings this he brings this important word to them by saying Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. Okay, so here we go. What Paul's going to establish here, he says, listen, you just don't come here and think that this is just an individual thing and it only affects you. He says, if you're you're doing this and you're not rightly discerning what this means, you can reap judgment upon yourself. Everybody say, "Uh uh-oh, uh-oh. See, Many times we read the communion thing, but we don't go this far in the passage. Some people are like, that's in there, Pastor? I don't remember hearing about this, right? Let's go a little further because this is good for us to hear today as a church. So what Paul's saying here, listen, just don't come here and make this an individual thing. So many people think that sin is an individual thing. That's the biggest lie you could ever believe. 
Because not only will sin affect you, but those around you. Never believe that our waywardness from the Lord is something that's just between me and God. Oh, well, I'll just repent later and it'll be fine. No, what Paul's saying here is if you take this in an unworthy manner, yes, you're going to be reaping condemnation on yourself, but watch what it does to those around you. See, this is important for us to understand that, that, that these two verses are very interesting because Paul shows, shows us the seriousness of taking communion and it's not something we should do haphazardly. That Paul's actually saying here, it's a holy moment that we should not enter into lightly. Now, here he goes on a little further here, and this gets really interesting. This this passage here, it bothers me. For the life of me, I'm trying to figure this thing out. I'm like, what? Whoa. Whoa. Wait a minute. God, what are you telling us here? Look what Paul says here in verse 29 30. He says, For those who who drink and eat in an unworthy manner. For those who eat and drink without discerning what this means, the body of Christ, and eat, they, they will eat and drink judgment on themselves. He says, that is why many of you are sick and weak, and a number of you have fallen asleep. You know what the word fallen asleep means? You're dead. Somebody say that's scary. Look at your neighbor and say that's scary. It should be scary. So listen, I don't want to get mystical here. I don't want to get weird. I don't know everything about this, but there is something very powerful that happens when we take communion. Now, I, I, listen, listen. I think there's two extremes that we can go, Right? And, and there's some teachings that go to way extreme. This actually turns into the body and the blood of, of Jesus Christ. That's not what the scripture is saying. And then there's this other extreme that we just take it haphazardly. It's not a big deal. There's something here that bothers me. There's something here that Paul says, when you take this in an unworthy manner, you actually reap judgment upon yourself. Now, that should bring caution to every single one of us. Like, let me, let me step back a minute and make sure that my heart is right when... I do this. So what Paul is doing here, he's speaking to the disciple of God. When we knowingly have unconfessed sin and come to the table of the Lord and not see the seriousness of our offense, we open ourselves actually up to the Lord's discipline. How many know that the Lord's discipline actually is a good thing? Because he loves us. And, And correction is good at times that we need to be corrected at times so that, so that we don't fall deeper and deeper into the sin. It's because of his love for us that he wants us to be corrected. So here's, here's what we can think though. You're saying, pastor, we're taking communion. Today. I don't know if I want to take communion now. What, what about the sins that I don't know about? Right? Is there, is there some sin that I don't know about that I'm blinded to that if I'm going to take communion and, and, and what, what Paul is saying or what you're saying here, Pastor, could I be reaping? I don't want to be sick and, you know, I don't want to die. So what do we do here? I heard this wonderful thought from a pastor and I thought it was beautiful. I love this. I think I have in your notes for you. If you have sinned, it shouldn't 
take you away from the table. It should actually invite you to the table. Is that in your notes? Oh, it is. Good. Otherwise, I was going to say it again. Listen, here's what I love. Follow this. When we rightly discern the Lord's table, and we may think, man, I, can never, how, I could never be worthy enough to ever take communion again. How can I ever do it? It's not about your worth. It's about what Jesus Christ has done for you. And so when I come to the Lord's table and I rightly discern what he did for me, I'm like, Lord, I give you my heart and my life. I give you the sins I know about and the sins I don't know about. I just, I need to be covered in Jesus. And so what it should do, if I've sinned and I know that, man, there's some things in my life that need to be corrected. Instead of this, instead of moving away from the table, it should actually move us towards the table and invite us to the table to say, I need God's forgiveness. And this is the beautiful thing about having a relationship with Jesus Christ. That if you've come into this place and you know that you've been wayward from the Lord or whatever it may be, or you know you may have some sin in your life, here's the beautiful thing. When we confess our sins, Jesus is what? He's faithful and just to forgive us of all our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You can do that right at your seats. Say, Lord, cleanse me. Let my heart be right before you so that when I take communion today, I know my heart is right for you. And I'm just going to completely fall in the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ, knowing that he's enough for me. That he's enough for me. Okay, so here's what Paul does. Paul says, listen, examine yourselves. I, I, I want you to realize this seriousness. And I don't know the mystery there because there is a mystery there of taking this thing in an unworthy manner. And obviously the Corinthian church was being judged because of that. And so there's a mystery there. So Paul says, listen, remember the seriousness of when you take this, but realize, realize this, that there's forgiveness in Christ Jesus. Humble yourself before the Lord and allow him to forgive you. So it doesn't matter your background or where you've come from or what you did this week. There's forgiveness through faith in Jesus Christ. Thank God for that. Amen. Thank God that, listen, Jesus wants you to come to the table. Because when I come to the table and I humble myself, that's where restoration happens. That's where forgiveness happens. So he wants us to come to the table to realize that. But also he wants us to guard our hearts that we don't do this haphazardly. That the blood and the body of Jesus Christ are at stake here for what he did for you. Don't take that for granted of what he did for you. Amen? So what Paul does here, he, he, takes it, he takes it a step further. And so what he does is he says this. He says, he says, I want you to understand something here. That it's not simply just us individually. And yes, we have to get our hearts right before the Lord. But there's something greater at stake here. And this is what I just want to drill into as we just close. That communion connects us with Christ. It actually connects us to him so that we may know him in a deeper way. See, why is Paul so adamant here? Because he wanted us to realize that not only are we to look inward, but communion, if we understand the full scope of it, it also allows us to look outward. And here's where the Corinthian church missed it. Let's go on a little further, because this is what he said in verse 33 and 34. He said, so then, my brothers and sisters, isn't it, isn't it, isn't it neat that he still called them brothers and sisters? They weren't so far removed 
They weren't so messed up. And let me just say, this church was jacked up. This church was messed up big time. But, but Paul still calls them brothers and sisters. So there's hope for living word today. Amen? There's hope for us individually. Okay? So amen for that. So this is what he says. So then, brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. I'm gonna, I'll, I'll explain what that means. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in what? In judgment again. And he says, I'm going to come and give you further instructions. So let me give you some insight here. What was going on in the church? In the early church, they didn't have these type of buildings that we meet in today. What they would do is they would meet in homes. And many of the wealthy Christians were eating first in these homes where they actually met to worship. And so what they would do is they'd come together and they would eat and they would have a meal and they would drink and they would drink and they would drink. Let me just say, they weren't drinking Pepsi and Coke. Okay. They were drinking, they were partying and they were getting bombed. They were getting drunk. And so they had fun and all, and then the porkers come in. There was no food. They come into worship and there's nothing there. And so then what they would do is they would celebrate the Lord's communion after they ate. And sometimes they were taking communion when they were drunk. And you're thinking that's a messed up church, right? But he still calls them brothers and sisters. They needed correction. And so what he tells them, he says, listen, when you gather to eat, you should all eat to, together. This is a community thing. What you're doing is when you're celebrating the body and the blood of Jesus Christ and what he's done for you and I, this should not separate us. This should unite us as the body of Christ. Don't forget your brothers and your sisters. Don't forget them. See, communion allows us to look outward. Don't ignore the poor believer. We take communion together. So here's the deal. If I'm taking communion and I'm saying, Jesus, thank you for your body that was given for me. You're the Passover lamb. You're the bread of life. You've done everything for me. Thank you for forgiving me. And I take the cup and I drink it and I say, Jesus, thank you for forgiving me of all my filthiness and all my sin and all the garbage that I've done in my life. Thank you for forgiving me. And I've got ought against my brother. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Something's wrong. How can I... Listen to me closely, church. Everyone look here. How can I go and celebrate what Jesus has done for me, yet have aught in my heart against my brother or sister? It should not be. See, this is where we get into this individualized society. This is where we've got to be careful. Because what we tend to do is we say, okay, Jesus did this for me, and I get that. But then we give we have levels of forgiveness that we're going to give to people depending on how much they hurt us or not hurt us. But if I have aught with a brother or sister in the Lord, I need to go make that right. Now, 
irregardless of what they do with it is up to them. But if I'm not offering forgiveness and asking for forgiveness, am I not missing the point of what Jesus Christ has done for me? Boy, it got real quiet in here. You hear what I'm saying? I'm not saying it's not easy. I'm not saying it's not hard. But I was to understand clearly Romans 5, 8, that God demonstrates his love towards us that while we were still what? You guys know it. Let's all say it together. Sinners. Sinners. Well, we were, all of us are sinners. What did Jesus do? He still died for us, didn't he? Did he wait for me to grovel at his feet? Oh, forgive me, Jesus. And they say, okay, now I'll die for you because you get it. No, he did it in spite of all those things. So if I really understand what I am doing here, then it, the gospel message has so gripped my heart. And this is where I think we miss it as Christians. This is where we miss the gospel message. And this is where we individualize the gospel message and we fail miserably because we individualize it to myself, irrespect of how I'm supposed to translate this into my life and how I forgive other people. Because if the gospel message had truly gripped my heart and I understand the forgiveness of the Lord, then I need to offer that forgiveness as hard as it may be. As hard as the offense may be against me. That doesn't mean that offense against you gets whitewashed or God doesn't judge it. That's up to God. But it's up to us. We have to forgive to break that chain in our life. Because if I've received this great forgiveness in my life, how can I not offer that great forgiveness? And this is what Paul is saying. Don't take this communion in an unworthy manner. It is about community. Communion brings us together as a community. Community brings us together as a family. I'm going to ask Katie to slip up to the keyboards. And here's how I want to close today. Because we're going to take communion. And some of you are kind of nervous now. You're like, whoa, that, this pastor, this was heavy. Aren't you glad you had that extra hour of sleep to digest all this today, right? But here's what I want us to do. Here's how I want us to take communion today. I do want us to make it personal. But I also want us to make this communal. I also want us to make this as a community. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. I want us to take this seriously. I want us to understand what's at stake here. I believe when we truly understand the body of Christ and the blood, what this bread and this cup symbolizes, when we internalize that in our hearts and our lives, the fruit of that is in the way we treat each other in the body of Christ. One of Jesus' last priestly prayers is he said, they will know that you are my disciples by how they hate one another, right? Is that what it says? They will know that you are my disciples. Here's Jesus' priestly prayer, end of the Gospel of John. They will know that you are my disciples by how you what? Listen, I, I love the internets. Right? I, I, the internet's great, right? We get information at your finger, right? Isn't it? It's good. Social media is fine in its place. But can I just share my heart with you? There's one thing that Christians really do a good job at, and that's devouring our own. It saddens me 
when I look at posts and people's blogs and everything, and how we just devour ourselves, the Christians. And the world steps back, and they look back and they say, is that what it's all about? Listen, be careful. Let me just give you a warning here as your pastor, a light rebuke. Be a good steward with your online presence because people are watching you. Those that are in the world are watching what we're saying. Be a good steward. Pray, before you put anything out there, just pray about it and just say, Lord, is this something that is going to be glorifying to you? Just pray about it and allow that to be filtered. Because I know we all have a platform. We all have a soapbox now that we can just, whoa, tell the world. Let's be careful. Is it coming from a heart that has been forgiven and sanctified by the Lord Jesus? Let's be careful. If we have ought against a brother or sister in the body of Christ today, this is what I want you to do. Make that right. As you take communion today, as we sit before the Lord's presence, make that right. Say, God, I'm, I'm going to go to that person and I'm going to ask for forgiveness and I'm just going to give it. I don't know how it's going to be received, but I know this is what you're calling me to do because I don't, I, I need to get these things right with you because this, my relationship with you is at stake. If, if you've come here today and you know there's some waywardness in your heart, this is where you come and you say, Lord, just forgive me, cleanse me today. And so when I take communion, I'm going to celebrate what you've done for me and thank you. I want, the, I want communion to draw me to the table today, not away from it because I realize what you've done for me. And thank you for cleansing me today. So as we pray today, let's pray for living word. That God would bind us together today through this wonderful celebration of communion. That he would unite our hearts today as a church. That we would be a people that wouldn't tear each other down, but we would do everything to exalt the name of Jesus so that he's glorified in our midst. And if I have ought, or if I have an opinion, or if I have something I don't like, then I'm going to hold that because if it's not bettering the kingdom of God, then, then Lord, just hold my tongue. Amen. Me too. Because everybody's got a nose, right? Do you have a nose? And we all got opinions, don't we? But sometimes I just got to take my opinion and say, is this for the betterment of your body, Lord? Just hold my tongue. And let me do everything that edifies your body. So let me pray for you today. And the ushers are going to come and they're going to serve you. We're going to worship. I want these worship words as we sing to the Lord to just penetrate your heart. We'll take communion at the end together. And so let's pray as the ushers come and they serve you today, but let's bow our hearts today. Lord, thank you for this word today. It was a hard word, but it was a good word. Thank you that these words are written in the Holy Scripture to correct us and rebuke us so that we do this correctly, God. So I pray that as we come to the table today, that we would lay our hearts bare before you and that we would find forgiveness and that, Lord, whatever that ought is in our heart, God, that we would offer forgiveness to those so that we would not take this in an unworthy manner and that we would celebrate Jesus' forgiveness in our lives. Every single one of us in this place doesn't deserve forgiveness, but you gave it to us through your grace. So help the gospel message to penetrate our hearts where we offer that forgiveness to others, God. So Lord, just do your work. I pray for anyone in this place that 
Maybe he says, I'm not even a follower of Jesus. I thank you that we can come to you right now. That we can confess your name. That we can confess you as Lord and Savior. And that if we believe this in our heart and we confess it with our mouth, we will be saved. We, we will be protected from God's judgment. And so for anyone that's here today, let them feel free to partake. And what Jesus Christ has done for them is the symbolic act of his body and his blood and what he's done for us. So bind us together here today, God. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for us. In Jesus' precious name. In Jesus' precious name. And all God's children said, amen. God bless you as your worship and the ushers.